Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. A week removed from National Signing Day, but because we recorded our last episode before National Signing Day, we're going to talk some about that here to start off this week's episode. And only one player signed by the Buckeyes last week. They had already signed 24 players, so the only February signee for the Buckeyes was Cameron Martinez, but bit of a revelation that we didn't expect necessarily on National Signing Day is that he is going to play on both sides of the ball at Ohio State, at least to start out. Ryan Day made that announcement during the press conference that plan is for Martinez to start out at H-back on offense, could also potentially play some running back on defense. He's going to start out at outside cornerback, could potentially end up at nickel cornerback, safety. A lot of different potential positions for young guy coming in. Colin, you were actually at Muskegon High School in Michigan for his signing ceremony. From talking to Cam, what did you gather about you know where he might ultimately end up as a Buckeye? Yeah, it's funny to actually happen to be there when Ryan had said that because I wasn't, like, like you said, I wasn't necessarily expecting that that, that would be the case. Um, it's interesting. I think that, so... I think there are like a couple parts of this that are interesting. One, it's interesting that they right out um, right away said that, and they right away said, you know, he's going to be playing on both sides of the ball because there's a million guys who come into college football every year as athletes. Yet at the same time, we all know that largely college coaches have a plan for them and where they're going to end up. Personally, I would be surprised. I, I think Cam Martinez ends up a defensive back. I know that they, they're, they're going to try him on both sides of the ball, and I think that he's someone who maybe they can try on both sides of the ball. Um, he's, he's super skilled. He's just super skilled as a quarterback. He can play sort of everywhere. Um, the way that um, – and, and conversations with him and his parents, the way that I'll put it is when they sort of st- took a step back in December and you know they didn't sign the the letter of intent then and they had about a month and a half or so before um, February National Signing Day is is Ryan Day sort of won the family over and Kerry Combs won Cameron Martinez over because I sort of asked all three of them individually which was the biggest moment or conversation or visit that you guys had and for both of the parents it was Ryan Day and then for Cameron it was Kerry Combs and just the way that he talks about Kerry Combs and the way that the way that he talks about like people college coaches having talked to him I think he sees himself as as understanding that you know the ultimate goal is the NFL and and he's someone who I think is really smart and and he's his parents have uh, made sure that he's really well-rounded yet he also has an idea that maybe his body and and the way that he plays the game and the way he moves maybe that translates to cornerback really well like he had told me multiple other college coaches from different universities had told him they think he's an NFL slot cornerback and we've had this conversation before of like does Ohio State need to recruit a slot cornerback or do they move a cornerback over there who's one of their best three like they might do on offense and, and play in the slot and I don't know I think he's someone who might be able to down the line fill that hole yet at right now it's not like he's going to come in and have to be a fix right away which i think gives him the option to just play him sort of everywhere and just make sure that once he gets on campus that this is the right fit for him my read on the situation is i think he enjoys playing offense he lit it up on offense in high school he had you know all kinds of touchdowns last year was a two-time player of the year for the state of Michigan at quarterback. I think he enjoys playing offense. And if it was up to him, strictly just based on where he would like to play positionally, 
I think he probably prefers offense. I think Ohio State has primarily recruited him as a defensive back. Like you mentioned, Kerry Combs was the one who closed the deal. He had been recruited by Jeff Halfley before that. So I think Ohio State primarily views him as a defensive back, and I agree. I think most likely he ends up as a defensive back. I think that slot corner position makes a lot of sense because, like like we talked about last week, initially the thought was maybe he was going to be a safety for Ohio State, but if they're going to stick with this single high defense— there isn't really a need for them to be bringing in multiple safeties per class, and there's absolutely a need for them to be bringing in a slot cornerback. So that would be my guess. If I'm guessing is that's the position, that slot cornerback position could ultimately be his home. Kerry Combs said last week when we talked to him that what he does with corners is they always start him out outside. That's, that's where they always start out. And then over time, as a player is learning that position, they'll evaluate whether it's better to move a guy inside or move him to safety. But the way he start, the way he'll start out is he'll start out practicing at outside corner, just like Legend Cavazos, just like Ryan Watts, because they want to see what he can do at that position. Yeah, it it makes sense to me the way that the way that um, he spoke when I talked to him. It, to me, there is an understanding of of that this is maybe where his future lies and while i think that he both likes that ohio state is open to him playing multiple positions shoot uh he's seen carrie combs's track record now he's talked to him i think he just i think he believes it and he buys into that this could be his future and, and like when you think about what could be your future under carrie combs um defense as a, as a cornerback you just think you see you see the first round cornerbacks that have come through and you see the success they've had in the nfl and you imagine like shoot maybe that could be me and i think it makes sense given that he's a guy that is probably not going to play a lot as a freshman. I think he's probably, unless he establishes himself in a big role on special teams, is probably a likely candidate to redshirt his first year. It makes sense to see what he can do on both sides of the ball. Give him that opportunity to show what he can do on both sides of the ball. And and I think organically through doing that, you're going to, most likely it's going to turn out where everybody's going to realize and be on the same page that, one position is better for him than the other, and then they'll move forward if that going forward. And I think it's better to do that now than to say he's definitely a defensive back coming in and then decide a year from now that, oh, maybe he'd be better off on offense. And you could still change down the line, but I do think we've seen some in recent years that when they've changed guys around, you know, Brendan White or Rashad Berry, for example, when you get into a guy's career in second, third year, you're still moving guys around to different positions. I think a lot of times that stunts a guy's development, and and sometimes that keeps a guy from ever really reaching his potential at Ohio State. So I think it's better to experiment early, and then ideally by the end of year one, you've settled in on what his best position is going to be, and then you keep him at that position the rest of the way, and he just gets better and better at that spot. Yeah, if I... If you made me, if you pen me down right now and you're like, what do you think that he's going to be doing in three years? My guess would be that he's going to be playing cornerback and returning kicks. I agree with that. I agree. I think he'll be, I'll say he'll be a slot corner and I think he'll be, he'll be involved in the return game. I don't know, kicks or punts, but I yeah. think he'll be. One of the two. I think he'll be involved in, <laughs> and I think certainly regardless of where he ends up on offense or defense, I think he's certainly going to be involved on special teams. I think he's a guy 
anybody like him that's got that kind of athleticism, whether it's returning kicks or punts, whether it's covering kicks or punts, a guy with that kind of skill set is always going to have potential on special teams. Yeah, so you mentioned I was in Muskegon last uh, Wednesday, which um, that was a, that was quite the trip. Uh, didn't realize that I was going to have to drive back in a snowstorm, but, you know, you end up where you end up. Um, but the, the other aspect of that is while I was in Michigan, uh, you talked to approximately 342 guys at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that um, were important, and I didn't talk to them, so I'm probably heavily rely on, on what you specifically learned, but it was Ryan Day, it was Corey Dennis, it was Kerry Combs, and all the early enrollees. 14, to be 14, exact. 14, many of which are the best prospects in, in Ohio State's 2020 recruiting class. A lot to glean from that. Where do we want to start? Well, I, I think one other thing from Ryan Day that I thought was interesting was he acknowledged during his press conference that Ohio State had to, his, his quote was, had to walk away from a couple of guys. The one guy we know that he's referring to there is Jameer Gibbs, the running back who signed with Georgia Tech. Not exactly sure who the other ones were, but they had to do that because right now they're at 87 scholarships. And there's a chance they, they move up to 88 because they're still waiting to hear back on whether C.J. Saunders is going to get a six-year eligibility. And you know, that was something that I asked him about last week because we really hadn't had much clarity on that, not only on whether he's going to get that year, but whether they really even wanted him back. I, I thought there was a chance that they might just move on because they're already above 85. But one thing that struck me was talking to the early enrollees, both Julian Fleming and Mookie Cooper when they were asked about who who veteran guys were who were really helping them out, learning the ropes, they both mentioned C.J. Saunders. Uh, Julian said that he actually uh, works out with C.J. every Saturday. So you can tell he's already making an impression on those young guys, which speaks to the kind of leader he is. And I think that's a big reason why they want him back, because he was a captain last year. If he comes back, he's most likely going to be a captain again. And regardless of what he might be able to contribute on the field, which he might be able to because they've got a big wide open spot at that slot receiver with K.J. Hill being gone. We really don't know who's going to play there. If he gets that year of eligibility and if, and if he's healthy, he'll have a shot to play at slot receiver. But I think really that leadership component is why they would save a scholarship for him, even if that meant they had to back off of somebody else they would have signed instead. Yeah, Ryan Day mentioned um, the, the balance between uh, the young talent and getting young talent and also having fifth-year senior leadership guys who, like C.J. Saunders, maybe they've been through the ringer, they didn't play a ton early in their careers, yet they develop, they continue to develop, and who knows, down the line, you get a guy like Devon Hamilton who's all of a sudden an impact, all-Big Ten-type player, or you get a guy like C.J. who, you know, He's a contributor. He's been in the rotation, and I and I and I do think it's like it's hard for us to talk about because we're never in those difficult workouts. We're we're never watching those. We're never in the locker room of uh, of, of a tight game, and we're not seeing like what this visceral impact that he's having on on guys. And it's also impossible to quantify. But ever like ever since C.J. Saunders has, has sort of risen um, to to the point where we talk about him and. To, to be clear, like we just don't, we don't, we don't really talk about the walk-ons ever because largely, they're they're just 
honestly, they're just sort of names that come through the program, and you know, it's great for Ohio State that, that they're there. Um, it's great to have them, yet at the same time, like it's our job to look at the on-field component of, of what happens, and, and most of them aren't on the fields and, and, and making making plays. C.J. Saunders, it seemed like before his injury last year, it seemed like he really might be uh, getting a chance to, to be the second guy in the rotation there. And I think it's really interesting to, to, to have him um, come back. I was someone who I think maybe a year ago was a little bit of a, a C.J. Saunders skeptic might be the word. You were. I was. And, you know, I'm seeing the value. <laughs> I, I'm a changed man, Dan. Well, I know you, you talked to some people in the locker room after the Big Ten Championship game as well. And, and I talked to him, too, and let me tell you. The man makes you believe him. Yeah, and, 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 and they've talked about it. Ryan Day actually mentioned it last week about the speech that he gave at halftime and how – that played a big part in the comeback they made in that game to go and win that game. So this is somebody that they hold in really high regard. And I, I do I do think, just based on the way that that Ryan Day has talked about that slot receiver position over the past couple months, I do think he would have been the second slot receiver last year. I, I think they were counting on him being the second slot receiver last year. And when he couldn't be, they ended up only going with K.J. Hill because they didn't trust anyone behind him. So... I also don't think that we should necessarily, you know, bank on if C.J. Saunders is back, he's necessarily going to play because he's been out for a year. He hasn't played much. They've got younger guys that are coming up and are going to have a chance to compete. But I think he'll at least be in the thick of that competition if he gets that extra year of eligibility. He's at least going to have a shot to compete and potentially be in that rotation at slot receiver. Yep, I agree. And it's not like they have K.J. Hill coming back this year. They have to replace K.J. Hill. And I, there's not a sure thing like you point to this guy and it's like, well, he's next to K.J. Hill. I think there are guys that you look at and you're like, well, if things come together for him, he could have a good year. Like if you think about Jackson Smith and Jigba or even somebody like Mookie Cooper, although I would certainly wouldn't bank on him just because he didn't play football for his senior year in high school. But He's at least a little bit more of a safe option. He's been on the field. He's been around the program. He's an older guy. He's a leader that everybody, all these young wide receivers that we're going to talk about so much in the next few years and have already talked about so much, he's a guy that they look up to. And like I think that you combine his on-field and off-field stuff, he has a chance to be important if, if he gets the sixth year. Speaking of those early enrollees, there wasn't really anything groundbreaking that they said last week. A lot of them kind of said the things that you would expect. I think the one thing that just stood out to me was just from talking to a bunch of these guys is just how mature a lot of them are. You talk to a guy like Paris Johnson or G. Scott or Court Williams, you just would not guess that these are 18-year-olds who should still be seniors in high school right now. Those are the type of guys that, you know, they just show maturity. They, they talk like grown men. And I think that's a big reason why they're a part of this recruiting class because I think those are the kind of guys that Ohio State wants. And really, talking to all, all of them, you, you get that sense with, with really just about all of them that you know, these are mature guys. You know, these are guys who understand the position that they've walked into as Ohio State early enrollees. And you know, they understand they're going to have to compete. It's not going to be easy, but... You know, they're saying a lot of the right things. Now they've got to go back it up. They're already in that process of trying to back it up in mat drills. And in less than a month from now, they're going to be trying to back it up on the field in spring practice. But you get a good vibe from this class that 
makes you think there's a lot of reason to be excited about these new guys. Yeah, I haven't talked to all of them. Um, so that was like the one part that I was um, not really loving the fact that I wasn't going to be there because like I, they, they are an impressive group of guys. I'll just mention like since I finally got around to writing one of the two Paris Johnson stories that I wanted to, the man is so impressive. And I'll call him the man and not the boy because when you're talking to him when he was an 18-year-old, it's like – I, 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 he's, he's not a, he's not a normal kid. When you're six seven and two hundred ninety pounds, you're a grown and man. And you have a four GPA, and you're fluent in Mandarin Chinese, and you're a five star prospect and a top ten overall recruit in the country. Yeah, you're not really a normal guy. You're just different. And like when I, like I just, I, I, I don't know. I could have this spiel every single week, but it's the, it's what I really feel is like. I feel like I shouldn't be as confident as I am in, an, in a freshman offensive lineman because, as we all know, offensive linemen, you know, things can just happen. You, your body develops in a different way. I don't know. Things happen. I'm just so confident that he's going to be good and he's going to be good quickly that it's it, – I don't know. It's, it's surprising even to me how much confidence I have in him. Yeah, I mean, he just – he seems to get it, too. Yeah. He seems to get it. Uh what it's going to take for him he's going to tell you he's going to tell you what he's going to do and then he's going to do it and like that's one of the main things that i think stood out to me about him is like even when he was a kid his mom was telling me when he was five years old and they would you know they would sit down and, and she told me a story of like paris had just started playing football and he wanted to communicate with his coach better so they sat down and they wrote some like notes about like how he might be able to communicate better and paris went and had a meeting with his coach at five years old and like then they implemented some of those and like that's like he just has a plan for type for stuff and then he goes out and does it so when he told me like he has a plan of of how he's gonna become the starter by fall camp one i'm still gonna project nick petit frere to to be the starter because i i I still believe it'll be his job but shoot it would be hard for me to say that paris johnson is not gonna win that job I, i i just think that that he's He's just impressive in a way people rarely are at that age. And I'll say this too, it's, it's, it's a confident bunch. There's a lot of confident yes. guys in this group, whether you're talking about Paris Johnson or Julian Fleming or Mookie Cooper or Court Williams or both of the quarterbacks. These are all guys that, that ooze a level of confidence about them. The defensive ends, Jacoby Cowan, Darian Henry, Legend Cavazos, he, he, he said last week his name is Legend, so he's got to live up to his name. So this is a confident bunch of guys. These are, these are a bunch of guys who are coming in with expectations that they're going to contribute quickly, and I think that's what you want. If you, it's if, a, yeah, it's a tight line where you don't want them to be delusional, and I don't think they are, which is sort of – I don't, think they're no, walking I, the line I do. directly. I, these guys really – by and large, seem to have a very good balance on the line of being confident and expecting to play early while also having the humility to understand what they're walking into and that it's not going to be easy. It's, it's a tough tough line to balance and and I don't I don't want I don't want to overdo it on the praise of these guys because the reality is it, adversity shows character and we'll see. Some, I mean, so the reality is we can hype up these guys all they want. Most of them probably aren't going to play much as freshmen. Some of them are going to have to wait two or three years before they really get a, a role. And the question is going to be, do they have – for the guys who don't get on the field right away, are they still going to have these same great attitudes in two or three years? 
that's what's ultimately going to determine how successful these guys are. But I think coming in, they're, they're coming in saying all the right things with all the right attitudes. And when you have 14 early enrollees, which is by far the most Ohio State's ever had, that is a huge boost when you're starting out the year because you're going to have all these guys on the field for spring practice. Like you said before, Colin, most of these guys are some of the best guys in the class of 2020. So these are the guys, by and large, that you'd be talking about anyway is the guys who might play immediately instead of redshirting. And by having this whole spring to go through with them, by being able to go through a whole offseason with Mickey Mirati, that just increases the likelihood that any of these guys are going to be ready to play come September. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other topics we wanted to hit on. I know that the you mentioned Court Williams, and, and his his position's just been fascinating to me for six months because I can't really figure it out. And and still still confused after, after uh, reporters talked to him. Yeah, the bullet remains the biggest mystery on this defense, but that was the position Court Williams was recruited to play by and large. So... It's going to be interesting. Ohio State's currently listing him as a safety from talking to him myself. He he thinks that the player whose role he's most similar to from last year's defense is Pete Warner. But he also thinks he's a little bit more safety, whereas Pete Warner's a little bit more linebacker. So I, I think hypothetically, what we think the bullet can be in this defense, I think is exactly what Court Williams can be. Because I think he... He is primarily going to be in that same position as Pete, which is a Sam linebacker, but you know Pete drops back to safety some as well. So I think he's going to play that same role, but I think he is a guy that is probably more of a safety and that he's probably a little more athletic, a little better in coverage than Pete is, maybe not quite as big and strong against the run. They're going to develop him into exactly the kind of player they want him to be, but... I think by and large, the the objective for him would be for him to be groomed this year as a potential successor to that Pete Warner role, whether that's next year or later down the line. The one thing I'll say about that, which um, generally, you know, I, I there are parts of that I, I agree with. The other thing I should mention, though, is when he was asked about what position group he's in, he said he's with the defensive backs, he's with the safeties right now as a position group, which to me is interesting because um, if you think back to, to Brendan White and Pete Warner, those guys were always with the linebackers. Always. There were Jocelyn went always with the linebackers. The guys who were the p- p- possible bullets, they were never with the safeties. So to me, there's a little bit of a difference um, if he stays in that room between what he can be um, and, and what we've maybe seen in the past. And that's where the confusion still lies to me, where, you know, in, I don't know, at the end of spring, is he still with the safeties? And if so, what does that really mean for his position? What does that mean for the future of the defense? And the reality is Ohio State is a new defensive coordinator. So things are probably going to change some regardless. So the way that they coach a player like that under Kerry Combs might be different than it was last year. So that's going to be one of those questions that's going to start to be answered in spring practice but it's gonna be interesting to see in general with Kerry Combs coming in and whether he changes whether he wants to change that at all whether he wants those hybrid guys to be working more of defensive backs or more of the linebackers like they were last year certainly Greg Madison Al Washington still gonna have a big part in that conversation as well but with Kerry Combs now being the guy in charge of the defense 
I'm sure there's going to be some different elements that he wants to bring in too that's going to ultimately have some impact on where a guy like Court Williams ends up positionally. Mm-hmm. A couple other guys you mentioned, uh, Colby Cowan, Darian Henry, still defensive ends at the moment. Yeah, that's what they want to be. That's what they think they're going to be. That's what they say they're being coached as right now by Larry Johnson. We will see if that ultimately ends up being the case of their entire careers because, as we've talked about before, Ohio State has a lot more defensive ends right now than they do defensive tackles. But you know, I think they want to start those guys out at defensive end this spring see what they get out of them, and then you know, plenty of time to make changes if, if need be. If they did just land a recent commitment from Michael Hall for the class of 2021, and I know they're, they're working on some other defensive tackles in that class too, so you know, if, if those guys perform well at defensive end, it might just lead to a heavier focus at defensive tackle in 2021, other than Jack Sawyer, of course. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that, that stood out from these – interviews that, that you wanted to hit on or do you want to talk a little coaches i think we can talk a little coaches talk a little Kerry combs i want to ask because i wasn't in the room give me the vibe of that room when Kerry combs is, is in that room and he hadn't been in the interview he hadn't been in the woody hayes athletic uh center for a press conference in a couple years now and let me tell you just like a couple short video clips of him you're like wow this, this guy this guy brings the heat. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't in the actual interview room during his press conference because the way they did it last week was they brought both coaches in for a press conference, and then they, they brought him out to the indoor fields so that reporters could go and follow up and, and talk to those coaches separately. So I actually went out there to talk to Corey Dennis while Kerry Combs was in the interview room. So... It's too bad. I wasn't there for the actual press conference, but I will say as I was walking out of a room, Kerry Combs was walking in, and he's walking in with his big cup of coffee, and at that moment I knew, okay, this is the same Kerry Combs that people have come to know and love. And that certainly held true in his press conference. It held true when he was meeting with the reporters outside as well. Uh, energetic is an understatement. Yeah, no. It, let me just tell you, like, I was saying my main takeaway from this was like, the juice is back. It's back, and 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 it's good because I I think at least from a you know personality perspective, a you know media friendliness perspective, I think Jeff Halfley was the guy that really stood out on last year's staff, and now he's gone, and I don't think there's really a a more perfect replacement in terms of those characteristics than Kerry Combs. Yeah, um, he's. Uh, I think he plus Al Washington, who I don't think gets enough credit for the kind of juice that he brings. Well, part of that's games. because we just don't talk to him as much. Well, also because I don't think he's that way in interview settings. Also, like when I, when I'm on the field before a game, Al Washington pregame speeches or something else. I, I they're they're just it's like a, a captain a team captain uh, on the current team is talking to them. He's that kind of guy when he talks. And there's a lot of guys like that. Like I remember when Greg Schiano was at Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. His interview sessions were usually very low energy, but then if you saw the videos of his pregame speeches, he'd be red in the face and all fired up. So a lot of the coaches are like that, where they're more toned down for interview sessions. But there's no off switch with Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs is on all the time there you will not come across Kerry Combs without energy because that's just who he is aided by the nine cups of coffee that he had already drank by noontime on Wednesday morning 
Yeah. Um, Last Wednesday morning, that so, is. So, but probably this Wednesday, too. So the interesting part is, is he's back in a different role. Um, same energy, same guy, different role. It, it, it was pretty clear when Ryan Day spoke about him that he's going to run the show on defense. Did, did you get that vibe, too? Yes. Ryan Day said that Kerry Combs will have the final say on defense. When he was asked about Greg Madison's title, he said Greg Madison's still co-defensive coordinator, whereas Kerry Combs is defensive coordinator. So I think that kind of says it right there that Kerry Combs is going to have authority in that room. He is going to have the go-ahead to call the shots. At the same time, I don't, I don't think Kerry Combs is going to come in and say, okay, this is my show now, and I'm going to change up everything we were doing last year. I think Kerry Combs full well recognizes that Ohio State's defense led the nation last year in yards allowed per game. And so I don't think he's coming in with his sights set on changing everything that Ohio State did. I don't think he's going to come in and start bossing everybody around him or wrong. I think it's still going to continue to be a very collaborative effort with Greg Madison, with Al Washington, with Matt Barnes, certainly with Larry Johnson. I don't think much is going to change in that regard, other than the fact that we do now have a more clear idea of who's calling the shots. Because last year, we really never knew whether it was Greg Madison or Jeff Hathley who was really calling the shots, and I think that was intentionally blurred. But this year, they've made it a little more clear. Okay, we're going to trust Kerry. He's going to call the place. He's also going to be down on the field, so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that dynamic. Does Greg Madison move up to the box? I figure Matt Barnes will probably stay up there because he was there last year. I don't think an Al Washington or a Larry Johnson would move up there because they're pretty energetic guys down on the field. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But I, I don't think there's going to be drastic changes in terms of the defensive scheme. I think... First of all, Ryan Day doesn't want massive changes for the scheme, and he's the head coach. So he's ultimately going to have that say in terms of what the defense is going to look like. I think a lot of people on the defensive staff are really bought into what they did last year. I was actually at the Ohio High School Football Coaches Association Clinic this past weekend and heard Matt Barnes speak, and his whole presentation was on the free deep zone coverage scheme that they did last year. And it was clear that he's very bought into that. So I, I think I think Kerry's going to be brought into what they're already doing, and I, I think he's more going to adapt what they did last year. Not I don't think he's going to come in and try to reinvent the wheel, but I think he will certainly bring new elements to the defense, a lot of those coming from what he did the past two years in the NFL, not necessarily what he did before at Ohio State. This isn't going to go back to being a 100% press man coverage all the time defense. I, I, I'd be shocked if that happens. Will they maybe play a little bit more man than they did last year? Maybe, but I think it's still going to be a healthy mix of the cover one, cover three that we saw last year. Maybe some more two safety sets. We'll see about that. Last year it was pretty much all single high. But I think philosophically, I think the defense is going to be by and large similar to what it was last year. Yeah, he's he's stepping into um, a role that, that like I have said multiple times, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit more challenging than, than some people give him credit for, and it's and it's a situation where he's got to do a couple things all at once, which is the reason why I think it's a little bit difficult. Like one, he's got to recruit and he's got to land some top line defensive bats in the twenty twenty one class. Like I think that that's really important too. 
there's a lot of guys who I think just need development, and, and, and they're and they're about to step into to roles that they've never been in before. I mean, you look at guys like Cam Brown and Seven Banks, and who knows, Tyreek Johnson could be him, uh, Mir Reap, Josh Proctor for sure, could even be someone like Marcus Hooker. You don't know. But these are a lot of guys who he has previous relationships with, and he's got to sort of take the next step in, in, in a lot of guys' developments. And at the same time, like both, I think he and and I think Ryan Day has definitely mentioned this before. Is you can't run the exact same defense as last year. There's not Chase Young off the edge. You don't have Jeff Okuda um, plus Sean Wade plus Jordan Fuller plus Damon Arnett. That's a lot of guys who you can run certain certain things that maybe if the talent isn't quite there, if the experience isn't quite there, then maybe you're not able to. And he's got to figure out how how to best use that. It's like you're doing all of that. I think that's I think that's really difficult. I also think, like you said, um, schematic-wise, he's not going to do anything crazy because Ryan Day likes the defense the way it is, um, and he's going to he's going to fit it in what what Ryan Day wants it to be, and um, I, that's why I think a, a lot of sort of the way that, that I think he can be evaluated, and the way that um, we're going to decide whether this is a good or bad year for him in year one as a defensive coordinator is how a lot of these young guys develop when they're when when there's going to be a lot of guys in, in big roles for the first time. Yeah, and two things verify adapting the defense. Like you said, first of all, personnel. It is going to be different personnel. It's going to be a lot of new guys, especially on that back end of the secondary. So they are going to have to look at, okay, what do we need to do different schematically just to fit these guys' game? Because it does. When you have Chase Young up front and when you have a back four as solid as Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade, and Jordan Fuller, it allows you to do a lot of things that that might be tougher to do if you don't have quite as much trust in the guys that are in those roles. So I think, you know, that's one reason that they do need to look at not a rehaul of what they did last year, but adaptations to what they did last year. And then secondly, now teams have a whole year of film to study on what you're doing because going into last year, we really didn't know what the defense was going to look like. We we tried to kind of predict what it was going to look like, but they purposely kind of kept it secretive from us so that we wouldn't know exactly what it was going to look like. Now, teams are going to have a full year of film, and we did see at the end of the year, teams like Michigan and, and Wisconsin and Clemson, they started to find some holes in this defense that teams didn't earlier in the year. So as great as Ohio State did last season, as great a job as Jeff Halfley and everyone else did, there are still things that Kerry Combs needs to do to make the defense better, to revamp the defense from last year, if Ohio State is going to have a top-ranked defense again in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention with him, or should we go on to the, the other coach that spoke for the very first time at Ohio State? Yeah, Corey Dennis met with the media for the first time because he's not a returning coach. He's He's been on the staff since 2015, but – Generally, quality control coaches are not made available to the media by Ohio State. So it was his first press conference at Ohio State. He, he admitted afterwards that he was a little bit nervous, that it was his first time. He wasn't quite uh, comfortable doing it yet. So uh, you could probably see that if you watched the press conference, that he's not someone who's a, a veteran in that role. Uh, but... He did express confidence when, when he, you know, of course, one of the big questions that I asked him and several other people asked him was, are you ready for this? What's your message to the people who are skeptical of the fact that, you know, maybe they think you were hired because 
your urban buyer's son-in-law or you know just because you've been around a program and you know he's confident he's ready he believes that you know the last three years of working with Ryan Day and, and learning all the quarterback expertise that Ryan Day has and of course learning from Kevin Wilson and learning from Mike Yersich and everyone else on the staff he believes he's he's ready for this I know you've been a little bit skeptical of, of whether he's ready and I think naturally there's going to be a lot of skepticism I, I don't know I'm not sure how people can walk into this and be so confident. There's all I think people uh, have. I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's it's hard to have so much confidence in him. The way I'll put it is when I when I watched the video, and I mentioned this, you it was like if Jerry Emig, the sports information director beforehand, was just like pointed at me and was like, "Colin, get up to the mic. Time for your press conference." I'd be a little nervous. Like I had never done it before. I didn't like. I it was almost like I, I wouldn't know what to expect. Yet, let's be clear here, he's being graded, he has the same job as, as Larry Johnson. He has the same job as Al Washington. He has the same job as these veterans. We're not grading him on the, on the um, grad assistant curve. So when he gets up there and, 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 it, and, and it sort of it feels like when I watch it, I was like, shoot, this is like maybe what I would do. Like I'd forget my train of thought when I'm up there and all of a sudden there are 100 people just looking back at, back at you. And it's not like... They're not firing you fastballs about, you know, you shouldn't have this job. It's questioning, like, all right, what are you ready in your mind? What are you, what do you like, why do you think you're ready? Um, and, you know, it's, I don't blame, it, it, you can't blame him for being in this position. He was put in this position. But I, I think when you, when you watch him, it's, he is really young. He doesn't have a ton of experience. Does that matter ultimately in the development of Justin Fields and, and the managing of the room of Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud and the recruitment down the line of 2022-2023 quarterbacks? I don't know. You can't. I, I, I don't really know. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't put a ton of stock into it. But shoot, my one takeaway was, wow, he's young. Yeah, I mean, his, his job is not to win the press conference. His job is to win on the field. Because if if I'm being blunt here, Mike Yersich was probably the worst interview of any of the assistant coaches that have that have been here in my time on the Ohio State beat and Justin Fields was a Heisman Trophy finalist last year so I, I don't think I think you want to be careful to read too much into how he performs in a press conference but you're right he is young he is inexperienced this this is a big step to be the quarterbacks coach at Ohio State at 27 years old which that's the same age I am and crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. If I were Ryan Day, I wouldn't hire you as my quarterbacks coach. I wouldn't hire. I wouldn't <laughs> hire me as, as Ohio State's quarterbacks coach if I was Ryan Day. I am severely unqualified for that job. But but Corey's been in there for for, for five years. He he's been on the staff. He knows how things operate. It certainly helps that his father was a longtime college football assistant coach. That his father-in-law is one of the greatest coaches in college football history that he's had the opportunity to learn with Ryan, Ryan Day. And my understanding is he became very close to Ryan Day from really the time Ryan Day arrived at Ohio State. So that helps in terms of building that trust factor. But, yeah, now he's got to prove it on the field. And, and the reality is we're not really going to know, unless something happens to Justin Fields this year, we're not really going to know until 2021 because – Justin Fields is already one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Sure, Corey Dennis and Ryan Day are going to be working with Justin Fields to try to make him even better for next year, but it's not exactly 
a hard job to help Justin Fields be a good quarterback. The hard job is getting C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller ready to start as a second-year quarterback in 2021. So that's when we're really going to be able to evaluate how the quarterback development is going under Corey Dennis's leadership. Another thing I'll mention is I just think it's going to be hard um, for fans, for media, for really anybody outside of that room to, to evaluate Corey Dennis's performance. I think that they're going to intentionally make it hard, and I think it's going to be hard for us because I, don't, I think that with Ryan Day in the building – if things are going well, it's because Ryan Day and Corey Dennis are clicking. If things immediate, if Justin Fields immediately takes a regression, you know who's stepping in and taking the bullet? Like it's going to be Ryan, Ryan Day. Day because Corey Corey Dennis will sign. He's in a position because of Ryan Day's presence. Once again, through no fault of his own, that I think that he's going to get get a little bit of a cushion. I think it might be hard for us to even really evaluate how are you doing with this. But that's part of why you can hire him for this job. If you didn't have that cushion. I don't know if you could make this move. Yeah, oh, I definitely agree. I, if he hired um, a grad assistant with no assistant experience to coach like linebackers, I would think he's nuts. Um, so I agree with that. We can have this conversation forever about whether he, he, he should have hired Corey Dennis uh, right away. Um, but, but I think just from, from the press conference, he's really young. He is really, 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 really young. <laughs> the XFL started this past week. I watched three minutes. I actually watched the whole game. Watched. You know, there are, there are multiple games, but... Oh, yeah, I watched, I watched the whole D.C. Defenders game because Cardale Jones is the starting quarterback for the D.C. Defenders. They also have Tracy Sprinkle, who's starting on their defensive line, and Duran Grant, who's playing at corner. Tracy Sprinkle and Duran Grant also played in the AAF last year, and that league lasted eight games, so... The big question, of course, that pervades over the XFL right now is how long is this thing going to last? I mean, I, I, I couldn't possibly tell you, but what I could say is that history tells me uh, very short and probably shorter than you think. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. As a football fan, as somebody who loves watching football as many months out of a year as possible, I hope it lasts. I hope for these guys sake that it lasts because it's giving more football players an opportunity but as Colin said history would suggest that we should be skeptical because the original XFL only lasted one year the AAF only lasted one year basically none of these upstart leagues in the past 20 years have had any kind of sustained success so I hope it I hope it lasts I, I can't say I'm overly confident but I did think it was a solid product for week one. Watching it, I, I, I thought, you know, I thought for a secondary league, I thought the quality of football was pretty solid. I thought some of the, I, I thought they did a better job, at least so far. Whereas the original XFL was totally gimmick based and was all, you know, about, you know, jersey nicknames and the black football and all, and all kinds of crazy stuff that they did. This league is more serious in design, but with a few interesting twists like the one and two, one, two and three point conversions after touchdowns and some of the different things they're doing that it, it makes it a little interesting. It's, it's not quite the same as watching an NFL game, but 
I thought the you know the quality of football was solid. The whole question is going to be ratings were pretty good week one. How are ratings going to be in week eight? That's what's hard to project right now, and they're going to have to be good, you know, this year and any future years for the league to keep rolling. Yeah, I, I can. I watched three minutes. I can say I'll probably not be tuning in every single week for the rest of the year. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a football diehard like some others, like the person I might be sitting next to. <laughs> um, but um, I think Colin's that, got all his college basketball to watch. Uh, I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a real thrill right now in the Big Ten. There's a lot of just beautiful basketball being played. No, in all seriousness, it is actually deep. But, um, no, I, the, the only things that I would say about the XFL is that I hope that the NFL takes uh, looks at what they're doing and, and takes ideas of ways that they can innovate. I think that's the best thing that the XFL can provide, that and jobs to guys um, who I think are still really talented football players who deserve to make money off the sport and people want to watch. So, shoot. You'll get paid. And we'll say my one my one criticism is there should be a team in Ohio. Car- the, the, top, the top ratings for the D.C. Defenders game, Cleveland was the second highest rated market. Columbus was the third highest rated market. D.C. was the fifth highest rated market. I think they should have put a team in whether it's Columbus or, or Canton or something. I, I think if you would have put a team and you have Cardale Jones at quarterback and maybe you entice a couple additional Buckeyes to play, I, I think it would have done well in Ohio because there's a lot of football diehards like me in Ohio. It would be interesting. I would love to see if Cardale Jones played games in Columbus again. I can tell you this much. I'd, go, I'd definitely go to one of those games. It'd be fun. I think, I think a lot of the uh, local media would be there as well to document <laughs> I, I, yeah, I will say, uh, as a reporter, I, would, I missed out on the Cardale Jones interview experience and talking to him throughout the years, so I would love to go talk to him for that. He's a great personality, and, and really, he's the face of this league now. He's, he's the face of the XFL, which is, uh, I think he's exactly the kind of guys that they need if they're going to have any kind of sustained success, because it, you're not going to get a lot of brand loyalty to these teams. If people are going to tune in, it's going to be because they want to watch the players that are on the field. And I think right now he's probably going to be the league's biggest draw with the guys that they have on their current rosters. Mm-hmm. So how many weeks until spring practice do we have right now? Uh, less than three. Less than three. Yeah. So we got to speed this position breakdown up, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll run through some more of the offensive players, and then you know maybe next week we'll – We'll tackle all the defensive positions. Yeah, so last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, we sort of started the breakdown of just trying to take like a quick, I don't know, 10 minutes or so dive on on each position group. And and I think we hit quarterback and running back and doing the rest of the offense. These receivers, we've already talked so much about these freshman receivers. So let's focus on some of the returning receivers because we've talked ad nauseum the past couple weeks about how good these, these freshman receivers are. But... You know, the, the two locks we know to start at receiver, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, they're going to start. Both of them have the potential to be among the best receivers in the country in, in 2020. Olave, other than, of course, the one play that we're all going to be talking about for a long time, had an excellent sophomore year. I think there's no doubt he's the leader of that receiver group. Garrett Wilson, a guy who was a five-star recruiter to high school, we saw flashes of how good he could be last year. I think next year, you know, he's a guy who absolutely has that potential to be a breakout superstar. Who do you think is going to have a better 2020 season? 
I'm going to go with Olave, but that's a really good question. Yeah, I'm, I, I ask because I'm not really sure. And I also ask because I think that they both have just super high ceilings, and it's really almost in my head just a race to see who can get there first. Yeah. And, and, and the way I also see is that I think Chris Olave's last year at Ohio State will probably be 2020, and Garrett Wilson's will probably be 2021. I would, I would agree with that. I agree with that because I think they're both going to be first-round NFL draft picks. Uh-huh. Um, a few years ago, I don't know how long ago, but there was, there was all this talk about when will Ohio State have their next elite receiver. Like, who, who can that possibly be? And it just feels like when you just look up and down the position group right now, like, you actually have options of guys on this team of who that might be. Yeah. And it doesn't – like, they're in an unbelievable place with this group. Veterans, depth, youth. If C.J. Saunders comes back, like, I, I, I legitimately think that would help this room just because I think a lot of the talent in it is young. Um, I'm not even really sure. Like, there, there are so few weaknesses in this room. The only thing I can really point to is who's going to play H-back in 2020. And even still, I think after 2020, I think I'll have a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think that's the big question mark right now because K.J. Hill was such a reliable player for the past couple of years, such a big part of that offense. I think right now I really don't think the coaches know who's going to be that guy. I, I think there's four real candidates. I think – Jalen Gill's the guy that people are kind of waiting for. Is he going to take that next step? I think it's now or never for him because of all this talent coming in. I think if he's going to step up and be that slot receiver, be the player that he has the potential to be at Ohio State, I think this spring is the time that he's got to go and seize it. I think the door is wide open for him, but he's got to go prove that he belongs in the field because the door was open last year, and he obviously didn't do enough in practice for the coaches to trust him to play significant playing time. So I think this is the year he's got to make that happen. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper, who are both started out in the slot, I, I think either one of them could end up in the rotation this year. I, I really think Smith and Jigba is probably the guy to watch, but but I, I'm, I'm not sleeping on Mookie either. I think you know it's very easy to say, Oh, he didn't play last year. He's probably a developmental guy, but we don't want to forget he's a top 100 player. He's a guy that's got a lot of ability. So I do not rule him out as a guy that could play significant time at that spot this year. And then C.J. Saunders, like we talked about, if he gets that six-year of eligibility, he's certainly going to be in that competition as well. Yeah, it's it's an interesting spot they find them in where there, I think there are a lot of options and not a lot of answers right now. And I'm not even really certain if by the end of the spring we'll know for sure. Like I think this is a, I think this is a, this is one of the position groups that I think there will be as much uncertainty as any going into the fall camp. On the outside, I think they're in a great spot. You got yes. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. They're going to start. I think Jameson Williams is going to rotate. My guess would be Olave Williams are going to rotate at that Z spot. Wilson's going to start at X. And then you've got, you know, a bunch of candidates to potentially, you know, join that rotation as well. Certainly Julian Fleming, certainly G. Scott. You've got guys like Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner. But again, much like Jalen Gill, this is now or never time. They've got to go seize it, you know, this spring and summer. If that doesn't happen and they get surpassed by those younger guys, then I think realistically their chances of seeing the field much at Ohio State are, are going to be slim. And then you've got Cameron Babb as well, who's an, an interesting wild card in that he's been hurt his entire Ohio State career, has had serious knee injuries the past couple of years, but he was a highly touted recruit as well. If he can get healthy and stay healthy, 
you know, there's a guy that could factor in as well potentially. Yeah, I, I remember talking to his high school coach a few months ago, and just the way that he talked about him was like, he's my favorite human being I've ever coached. Which, for being that good of a player, is uh, that's that's pretty high praise. Um, he's really interesting in that I honestly would have no idea what to expect from him. I think that there is reason to just say, you know, if you get anything from him in 2020, that's great because you just haven't seen anything yet, and and. He's been he's had he's had such terrible injury luck that you really can't bank on him. The great thing for Ohio State and Brian Hartline is is the main reason for this is they have set themselves up where they have depth on depth on depth on depth, and that's why even when I think about the slot positions, like who's going to fill this, who can replace KJ Hill, the career leader in Ohio State receptions, they've got enough guys that I'm not really overly concerned right now, and maybe maybe I'm. Uh, giving giving them a little bit too much credit there, but there there are enough guys who I think have a, a lot of talent that there's a, there's a lot of reason for optimism there. And you can get lost in the potential a little bit, like it's like oh five star, four star, five star, and you don't want to do that. But when you see that they have like six of them who could play and and who are pushing for spots, yeah, that's that's a good spot to be in. There's so many potential answers here, so let's hope we don't both have the same one. But who is the one guy that you are most intrigued to watch this spring? All right. I forgot that this was coming, so give me a sec. Who's your guy? Jalen Gill. I'm going to go with Jalen Gill. Because right. like I mentioned before, I, I think this is this is the time for him. That slot receiver depth chart is wide open. I also just get the impression that he just hasn't quite come along the way his coaches have hoped for the past couple years. So I, I really think this is the year he's got to seize it. I don't think it's going to be given to him. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he starts at that spot or even that he's in the rotation. But I do think the door is wide open for him to go seize it. We know he has ability. He was a really highly touted kid out of high school. I want to see this spring. Is, is he ready? Has he made the necessary steps to where he can go seize it and become a real playmaker for this offense? The other aspect of that that I think is interesting, and, and who knows, we might see him for 10 minutes of practice, but you get to compare him to guys that you really haven't seen before. Because you're like when you compared him last year, it was like to KJ Hill, who we've seen now for five years. Right. It, like you knew what you knew what he would look like. All right, what does he look like against Mookie Cooper? Like when they're on the field together, who sort of stands out, and how do they stand out? I don't really know. I think that's going to be interesting. Um, my pick for the guy, I, I don't know. The thing with this is I mean, there's so many guys. All of them. But I'm just going to go with I'm, I'm really interested to see what Garrett Wilson is in year two. Because Garrett Wilson year one was unbelievable, and you'd hear about these plays that he'd make in practice where he was just, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. The, the way that people would describe it, it almost sounded like he was just catching passes between his knees every day. Like, I don't know. That's the way they made it sound. Um, year two, what is he like? Uh, what is he like? Is is he different at all? The, the, I think the thing that's interesting about him is you hear about maybe his practice habits need to get a little bit better. Do do you see that when when we're out there? Do you hear about that? I'm interested because I think that is one of those things that when you hear it harped on enough, I think that's what they think internally can get him to go from good from good to great. Yeah, I think that's a good point you make about Garrett Wilson because as good as he looked on the field at times last year, you did get the impression. The coaches wanted to see more out of him. So I think certainly this spring and this summer, they're going to be looking for him to really take that next step to really become a leader in that room because you've lost so many veterans in that room the last couple of years. I think we know Chris Olave is going to be a leader. If CJ Saunders is back, we know he's going to be a leader. 
But now, even though he's just a sophomore, I think Garrett Wilson's a guy they want to be a leader in that room as well. Yeah, the other part of that is, um, like, being a leader in a large part, too, you sort of have to play to be a leader. Um, and, and you don't have to, but that's important. And I think that once C.J. Saunders started to play, I think he became a better leader. Like, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner are going to be upperclassmen, but you just haven't heard from them uh, much because they haven't played. Um, if he's in this role as a starter, he needs to be a little more, more vocal. He needs to be, to, to be setting the example. We talked about some of the uncertainty at slot receiver. One way they could make up for that if they're not totally sold on, you know, two guys playing a ton of snaps at slot receiver is by using their tight ends. We saw that last year with a lot of two tight end sets. And I think regardless of how things shake out at receiver, we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets again this year because Luke Farrell is back. Jeremy Ruckert is back. They both played regularly last year. By the end of the year, you know, Ruckert was firmly ahead of Rashad Berry, and those are the guys getting most of the snaps of that position. So they're both going to play a lot, and, and I would think, you know, Kevin Wilson being back, they're going to mix in a healthy variance of those two tight end sets as well. Yeah, especially if he's calling the plays. True. <laughs> when I think of Kevin Wilson calling the plays, I just assume he's going to mix in like a five tight end set at some point. It's a good point. Who knows? Um, they're, yeah, they're in a fun place where I think that they've got a they've got some good veteran versatile options where you know it's it, I think that there's a lot of excitement about maybe what um, Jerry Riker can do and maybe if you play him in the slot if you stand him up a little bit more I don't know maybe he can be a little bit wide receiverish there but beyond him I think Luke Farrell is just an all around really really solid tight end Jake House is now experienced enough that fifth year senior who knows. He'll contribute in some way, and, and they like to play. Like you said, they like to play depth. I think it's just good to have that many bodies, especially since I think that, especially Rutgers as a receiver and, and Farrell is sort of like an all-around tight end. I think that there's there's reason to feel pretty optimistic about where they are as, as, a, as an entire position. Yeah, I'll just say it right now. Jeremy Rutgers the guy that I'm most intrigued by going into this spring at that position because we know Ohio State doesn't throw to the tight ends a lot. We know that's probably not going to change. But if anyone's going to break out as a playmaker at that position for the Buckeyes, you got to think he's the prime candidate. Because if it's not him, who could it possibly be? If it, <laughs> if it doesn't happen for him, just forget about it. It's 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 not going to happen. And, and maybe we're dumb, and maybe we should have already forgotten about it. But he's he is the last hope essentially. He's, for he's the, got and, and he's got promising. I mean, remember this is a guy that Urban Meyer always said was the best tight end he's ever recruited. So. Now, he's going into his third year. He's got some significant experience under his belt. I do think that he's going to have a bigger role in the offense this year. Now, do I think he's going to be one of their top three or four receivers? Probably not, because history would tell us that that's probably not going to be the case. But we saw him make some big plays. Of course, the one uh, Air Jordan-like catch that's going to be on his highlight reel for the rest of his life. Uh, but I, I think he's a guy that he, he can be a weapon. And I think if you're Kevin Wilson, if you're Ryan Day, you need to find creative ways to, to get him involved and use him in the passing game because he's got that combination of size and athleticism where he can really create those mismatches. And when you don't have a K.J. Hill, when you do have a younger group of receivers, they have so much talent at receivers that they, they don't need a ton out of their tight ends. But I do think Ruckert adds – Ruckert specifically – and like you said, Farrell's a good, solid player, but Farrell's never going to be that guy who's 
who's a huge weapon in a passing game. He's a really good blocker, good, solid intermediate receiver, never going to be that field-stretching weapon. But Ruckert's got that skill set where he can add another d- dimension to your offense, and I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're the Buckeyes if you're not finding ways to take advantage of that ability that he has. I agree. I'm going to be looking for – yeah, that's going to be like one of my two things is like – they don't have K.J. Hill anymore, and I get it. There's a lot of wide receivers, but, like, get him the ball. And then on defense, I'm going to be, like, rush Baron Browning to the passer <laughs> because these are my two things. It's like, to me, these are just two skill sets that they haven't used a ton of. And it's pretty clear that these guys have. Um, and I don't really blame them last year because K.J. Hill exists. And when K.J. Hill's on your team, it's okay to get, have K.J. Hill be your H-back that you're throwing to a lot. Um, but without him, I think that there's room for somebody like Jeremy Ruckert. Jake Hausman's also back. He's going into his senior year. He played fairly regularly last year, so I, I would think he'll see his share of playing time again as the third tight end. Beyond them, Cormonte Hamilton, he's going to be a redshirt freshman. Joe Royer will arrive this summer as a tight end. There's some rumors floating around as of today that Message K- boards. K- Cade Stover could potentially end up at tight end. Don't, don't know if that's accurate at this point. We will find out. Uh, when spring practice starts in March. But do you think anyone else is going to see playing time there, or do you think you know those three are pretty much going to be it? Provided those three are on the team in the fall, those three are the, team, are, are, are the guys who are going to play. Um, that's, that's the way I view it. Now, the one thing I will say is if that is the case, there would be an interesting spot in 2021 where they would, be playing, they would have a second tight end who really hadn't played a ton. And I don't think that that's necessarily a spot they want to be in just based on what they've done the past few years. The other part of that, though, is by that time, they'd have a ton of really good wide receivers, and maybe they wouldn't really need to have two tight end sets all that much. Yeah, Um, if I was forecasting ahead to 2021, I would guess probably (laughs) less two tight end sets because Luke Farrell and Jake Howes will both be gone. I, I do think Cormonte's an intriguing guy because I've, I've Don't always say this. This is going to be mine. This is going to be my most intriguing play. I do think I do think Cormonte Hamilton. I think he's an interesting guy because I've always kind of wondered how they're going to utilize him. He doesn't quite have that same uh, body type as the other tight ends. He's a he's a shorter guy, but he's big and he's strong. I could see them maybe doing some fullback stuff with him. Maybe doing some more stuff out of a backfield of him. I'm intrigued to see what they do with him like you said i I don't think he's gonna play a ton this year but i'm interested to i'm interested to see if there's a distinct role for him that looks a little different than what they're doing if they're ever tight ends he's the guy i'm most interested to see just because i have an idea of what exactly they're going to do with everybody else with the exception of maybe jeremy record and and some passes he's cormonte hamilton 6'2 263 like, that is fullback size. That is not tight end size. Yet he was recruited as a tight end. He's been in the tight end room. And to be clear, like, Ohio he doesn't have a fullback position. So it's not like he, he would be playing anything else. But he's he's built in a way that nobody else is, which means that it would behoove Ohio State to use him in ways that they don't really use anybody else. And he's, he's going to be in his second year. I don't expect him to have a giant role. But, you know, if you need a fullback – who knows? It might be Cormonte Hamilton. I don't, I, I don't know. It, it, it just allows them to be creative. And with someone like Kevin Wilson, who I think is a really creative guy, especially with the tight ends, I think, I think it allows them to have some fun. On the offensive line, three returning starters, Thayer Munford, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, all back for 2020. The return of Sean Wade got a lot more attention because he did it as an actual announcement, whereas 
those guys just kind of told reporters at media day or in the locker room that they were going to be back next year. But you could argue the biggest win of the offseason was all three of these guys deciding to come back for another year. This is giant. Um, so, so in such a way that like I'm would be pretty surprised if entering the fall if I weren't thinking that offensive line was their biggest strength. I mean, you just look down the line at what they're going to have. There, Munford's going to be a third-year starter who I think was he's he's really struggled with some injuries that I think have hampered him on the field and is, have not allowed him to, to play up to his potential. But I think you've seen flashes of what he can be, and I think what that is is, is a really, really good left tackle. Wyatt Davis could be the best guard in the country, and Josh Myers could be the best center in the country. And then, hypothetically, if you pair them with someone like Harry Miller, former five-star guy who you've heard people rave about basically since Ohio State landed him, and then the other offensive tackle is either going to be Nick Petit Frere, the number one guy in 2018, Paris Johnson, the number one guy in 2020, or Dewan Jones, who is an absolute a, behemoth. Absolute, yeah, there's no other word than behemoth. Um, that well, is a, big Thanos. That big, or Triple, me, triple D. D, D or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what big, big, big Greasy. What am I saying? Yeah, no, of course, there's all these other ones. But um, that what a line that is. I mean, from a pure talent perspective, this has the chance to be as talented as any offensive line that Ohio State has ever had. This is, yeah, this is a chance to be, I mean, I, I, it would be entirely reasonable if there are preseason magazines, I don't know how many months, four or five months, whenever they come out, that are saying Ohio State has the best offensive line in the country. I, I don't know enough about other offensive lines and their, their, their rising junior left guard to really compare right now. But there's no chance that, that, that anybody has the, the, the recruiting talent that is going to be on Ohio State's line. Yeah, they, they're loaded with talent, and there's a lot to really feel good about on this line. Still two, two key players that you've got to replace. Jonah Jackson, who did a phenomenal job coming in and solidifying yep. that line at left guard last year. Brandon Bowen, who I thought had a really good senior year at right tackle. But the reason we're so optimistic is because – you look at that left guard spot, I think that's probably going to be Harry Miller, who is a five-star recruit and who coaches raved about last year. And, and, he, and he's only been on campus since last summer, and they were raving about him and, and talking about how they thought he was ready to play if they needed him. So I think he's a guy that you, you get him through an entire offseason of development with Mickey Marotti with spring, spring practices. I think he's a guy they're going to feel pretty good about, and he's most likely going to slide in at that left guard spot with Josh Meyer currently the starting center. And then at that right tackle spot, yeah, I think you've got three really intriguing candidates. I think it's Nicholas Petit-Frere's job to lose, and it should be, because he's a third-year player now who is a five-star recruit. This should be his time to go seize that job, but I think having Paris Johnson and having Dewan Jones as two guys who I also think have enormous upside, it, it, it makes you feel better about it that we haven't seen a ton out of Petit-Frere yet, but if for some reason he doesn't perform up to expectations, and I'm not saying there's any reason not to think he won't, but if for some reason he doesn't, they've got other guys there that have the potential to be great players as well. Yeah, you want to be in this position where, like you said, it's his job to lose. When Ohio State recruited Nick petit Frere. it had to have thought in the third year the plan would be for him to start. Absolutely. You don't get the number one offensive tackle in the nation, not think by his third year he's starting. But – the other aspect of it is I think it could 
both be his job to lose. And other other they have two other guys who I think can hypothetically win the job. Like I think I think Nick Petit Frere might play well, but who knows? Dewan Jones or Paris Johnson is just awesome. Like I think that's totally on the table and all of a sudden yeah. they're the starters. Um which is like an unbelievable place for us. This is this offensive line is absolutely stacked. And if we want to go through like the depth on the interior, like we're talking about these three offensive tackles that they have, their interior depth is really strong too. There's not really a weakness on this offensive line. Yeah, they've got some intriguing guys there as well because you know, we're penciling in Harry Miller, but he's going to have to prove that he should win that job as well. I mean, I think a guy that's forgotten about, Matthew Jones, who was a top 100 recruit in his class. Some, some recruiting services had him as the number one center in his class. He's a guy who could compete for that left guard job now going into his third year like Nick Petit-Frere. Nok Vimahi was a guy who I think like Dewan Jones last year as a true freshman, really impressed the coaches with how quickly he came along. We thought right now he was going to be preparing to go on a mission. Instead, he's decided to stay at Ohio State. I think that's a guy who's made an impression and has a real chance to to compete for that job as well. You've got a veteran like Gavin Cup, who I think is probably going to be a backup, but is a guy that's got some experience that makes you feel a little more comfortable there. And we've also seen, young guys yeah, we've have. also seen fifth-year guys um, who have been backups and who people maybe thought were going to be backups win a starting job in their fifth year. And, and while I think he's probably an underdog, who knows? Who knows? He could have really developed late. Yeah, and you have all these. You have all these guys. You have guys like Max Ray and Ryan Jacoby as well that are returning. I think back to a couple years ago when the narrative about the offensive line was Greg Stadrow is really struggling on the recruiting trail and the offensive line is really lacking depth. And and now that narrative has really been flipped on its head because they've got all this young talent coming in. You know, they've got six total freshmen coming in. Luke Whipler, another guy who's going to have a chance uh, to compete for early playing time as well as Trey LaRue, Josh Fryer, Jacob James, Grant Toutant, those are guys who are all viewed as more long-term projects, but they've got a ton of depth on the offensive line, certainly top-end talent, lots of reason to feel good about what the Buckeyes have up front. Yep, 2021-wise, if we want to just mention this, just because like I feel like I need to say again, just like this line is positioned for success in 2020 and beyond, is they've got two guys ranked in the top 60 and Ben Chrisman and Donovan Jackson, and if you just look at what they're doing elsewhere, I think I, I don't think they're stopping there. I think they're going to have some real nice success on, uh, uh, up front in that class. And again, a big credit to Greg Stadrawa because a couple of years ago there were a lot of questions about his performance on the recruiting trail yep, and reasonable questions. You know, too. whether you know there were people wondering whether he should be replaced because he wasn't landing the top recruits, and, and he's really done an excellent job ramping up his efforts in that area and now Ohio State well positioned for years to come like you said. Yeah and I've been as critical as anybody about um, Tony Alford and, and his recruiting recently and I think maybe this is one of those stories where it's like Rick Zadara had had recruited well before didn't recruit well for a little bit and started to recruit at the top level again and like I think Tony Alford can do that. Obviously, 2021, he's got to show. If you're, an, if you're an assistant coach at Ohio State, you should be able to do that. You have all the resources. You're at one of the top programs of the country. You should be able to lure top talent to Ohio State. Doesn't take away any credit from the guys who are actually going out there and doing it, but that should be the expectation. And like I said, Greg Stadrow has done an excellent job of, of getting up to and meeting that expectation. He has.
we don't have a lot of time left, but I know one of our questions this week was WTF is going on with this basketball team, so we should probably talk about it for a few minutes about what's going on with a basketball team. It looked like they had finally turned the corner, had three straight wins against Northwestern, Indiana, Michigan. Then Saturday's loss to Wisconsin happened. Final score, 70-50, not 70-57, but really it was more lopsided than that. Uh, Wisconsin went on a 16 to nothing run at the end of the first half, and Ohio State never recovered. Yeah, I would say the one thing I would say is I certainly hope that a lot of you out there didn't think that they had turned the corner because, you know, just watching them for a while, sure, who knows. They were playing so well early in the year, maybe they had turned the corner. But I mean, I'm talking about is, turning the corner from when you had won one game for the entire month of January. Uh, well, yeah, they definitely turned that corner. Uh, they, they didn't win. They're not going to win one game in February. But um, they still have the same issues that have sort of plagued them for a month and a half, getting on two months now. Um, it is I, – I, I, it is a – I mean, we could have a whole conversation in the offseason. I think it would be interesting about, like, where this program is in relation to where it should be, what we, what we can expect in the near future and the long-term future, because I think it's really fascinating. They're at an interesting point right now. But we've obviously – they're in the middle of the season. We've got to analyze them where they are right now. And I think it's just sort of clear um, what, their, what their strengths are and what their issues are right now. And, like – Three-point defense is an issue. It's been an issue the entire uh, Big Ten season, and it remains an issue. And that's, I I think, on the 16-0 run, Wisconsin made three threes in a row. They shot, I think, 37.5%. And if you just look, and I wrote about this a couple days ago, if you just look at the numbers of, like, everybody is just shooting, like, season-high percentages against Ohio State. It's really everybody. Um, I I, I think that they're – just a lot of factors for that. I think one, um, I know Bill Lannis from The Athletic had like a really good stat, which was in the Big Ten um, play when Caleb Wesson's on the court, opponents are shooting around, I think it was 34%. When he's off the court, they're shooting like 53%. It was, it's a crazy number. And I think that tells you sort of how he glues their, their defense together. Two, maybe they're a little bit shorter on the perimeter. Three, they're just not rotating well. They're not communicating as well as they need to. And, and that's led to a defensive slide which people look at the offense and they're like this offense has problems if you just look at the numbers their defensive metrics are worse than their offensive metrics when you look at it i i think the thing that stood out to me in saturday's game was when caleb wesson went out of a game of foul trouble late in the first half the game just fell apart for him didn't and it feel like the 2018 it's exactly what it felt like because that's what we talked about all last season was how they were so reliant on Caleb, and if Caleb was out of a lineup, everything just fell apart, and that is what it looked like on Saturday. And, of course, DJ Carton is still away from the team. We don't know exactly what's going to happen there, if he's going to be back later this year. But for guys, they, they need other guys to step up, especially their guards. Dwayne Washington, I mean, he's just been wildly inconsistent. You just never know what you're going to get from him. They need more consistent play from him. C.J. Walker just doesn't offer that same level of spark that they're getting from D.J. Carton when he's out there on the floor. Lufer Muhammad, I think we thought he was going to take more of a jump offensively than he has this year. They're just not getting enough right now out of their role players that if they're going to be able to win in March, you've got to have more guys stepping up than they do right now. Yeah, they're in a weird place too where – 
Um, I think people are just one uh, side tangent. People are overly critical of Caleb Weston and the way he plays. Like, just think about the guys that we all mentioned there. Like, that's he's not playing with Cassius Winston. Like he's not, he he he's playing with a bunch of guys who are largely um, role players who are also fairly inconsistent. Um, and also, big key here. None of them are really good at getting to the rim. None of them are good at scoring in the two-point range. Their, their two-point field goal percentage is really, really low. And when you look about like what Ohio State can improve, their three-point percentage in the Big Ten is first. They're the best shooting team from three. And I think when people hear that, I think people just have a misconception about this team and, and they think that it doesn't shoot well. This team shoots pretty well. The issue is that... They have really nobody inside, and, and Caleb, he hasn't finished well around the rim this entire year, and, and he's never been like a great rim finisher, but, but he's taken a little bit of a step back there. The one thing he does add is he's a much better three-point shooter. He's one of the best three-point shooters on the team. The issue is that they really only have consistent guys from outside. They don't really have anybody who can get a consistent shot from, from inside, and like you've got to run a little bit of a complete offense, and it, they, with the personnel they have right now, they they can't really do that. And they're not getting a lot of easy shots. They're not. No, they're not they're, getting a lot of you know good looks. They're they're overly reliant on you know bringing in someone like a Justin Arns who can provide a spark with his free point shooting, but isn't really offering anything else when he's out there on the court. They're they're just not. They don't have enough guys that are offering you know the well rounded both offense and defense for them right now and. They need they need guys to step up. They need you know a guy like Dwayne Washington has to be more consistent. You know a guy like EJ Liddell needs to take that next step and really become a consistent force for him down the stretch. Obviously, a guy like Andre Wesson is is really important for them, but they're not you know he's not a guy he's never been a guy who they're getting a ton of consistent offense from. He'll have spurts, but he's n- he's never been a you know a guy you're going to really get twenty points a, a game from. So. They just they just need guys to step up, you know. They, they're not a, they're not an untalented team, but the reality is, other than Caleb, they don't have anyone who they can really rely on game in and game out to score a lot of points for them. And then when your defense is also not performing up to the ability that it had earlier in the year, that can be a bad combination. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, the the thing you say about easy easy points is uh, I think a point that needs to be made is. They are not a good transition team when they don't have DJ Carton because who's going to be leading the transition? They really don't have guys who are good in transition. Um, it is a little bit of a wild ride. When I, I specifically am thinking of like Luther Muhammad when he's on the break, I, he, he, he actually converted points. Uh, I think he had a floater in transition against Wisconsin, but feels like in every other game when he gets out on the break, he goes like one on three and, and something terrible for Ohio State happens. Um, not a lot of easy shots on this team because they just don't have a lot of guys who are really guards and or wings and, and can create their own shots, which is it's a I think it's a challenge for, for the coaches to figure out like what exactly they can do right now and there's just no easy answers, um, which is a tough thing um, for to to be in the middle of the Big Ten season and say that. But it's the case. Despite all of his criticism, despite all of his team's issues. They're still solidly an NCAA tournament. They're, all, they're basically a lock. Yeah, I mean, right now they're like a seven or eight seed. Barring a complete collapse down the stretch, they're going to make the tournament. Can they win in the tournament? That's a whole other question. But right now, there's a reason to believe they're going to make the tournament. Real quick, 
eight games left. How do you, what do you think their record will be for their final eight games? Oh, man. I wish I had thought about this beforehand. So I'm looking at the schedule right now. They play five home games, three away games. One of the away games is in Nebraska. I'll chalk that Nebraska game up as a win. I will say um, I'm, they play Rutgers on Wednesday, so this is really good timing because I'm about to like make a pick, and this pick is just going to go terribly wrong within like a few hours. But I think that they beat Rutgers at home. I think Rutgers is a lot better of a, of a home team than a road team. Um, shoot, I might even pick them to, to beat Purdue. Um, I think they lose to Iowa. I think they lose to Maryland. I think they beat Michigan. I think they lose to Illinois at home. I think they lose to Michigan State. So that was one, two. I think that was four more wins. I think four I have four. Them at, Yeah, I think I have them going four and four the rest of the way, which honestly in the Big Ten, that is uh, basically exactly what they've been. Yeah, I, th- I think they're somewhere between three and five, and five and three is, is my read on it. I think five and three would be a good finish to the year. Three and five would not be a good finish to the year. Anything worse than three and five would be a really bad finish yes. to the year. Yeah, and then I guess maybe we can have the conversation of whether or not they're going to make the tournament. Still I, think they're gonna make. Tournament. I still think, I think they. they I think they have to win like one game yes. rest of the way. Yeah, and they would have to lose to Nebraska. A few questions here before we run out of time. Roll through these real quick. Toad twelve oh four. I your questions came in after we recorded last week, so wanted to get to yours. Who in the twenty twenty class has the highest ceiling? I think I know what Colin's answer is. Um. I wish I had pulled this up to see if I um, could think of whether there would be someone other than the guy who I think we're both thinking of. But, yeah, no, I'm going to go with the, the uh, first pick in the 2024 wow. NFL draft, Paris Johnson. 2024, I, I think it would be 2023 because if, you, uh, if, you're, if yeah. you're talking three years three and done, Ohio which State. Which he has said that his goal is to be three and done. Yeah, so I – yeah, um, yeah. I think I think I think he'll be a top ten pick. I think he could be a number one pick, and that's I feel absurdly high on an eighteen year old offensive lineman. That like I never am this high on a fresh offensive lineman. To me, he's different. Yeah, there's so many good choices here. I'm gonna go with C.J. Stroud because uh, quarterback ultimately is the most important position on the team, and I think he's the guy that you know he's got some Justin Fields qualities like about him. He could be the next starting quarterback at Ohio State. And, you know, ideally your hope of that next Ohio State quarterback is going to be a star and the star player of your team. So I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud, but lots of good options for that question. Also asked us, at the end of 2020, which commit is going to have the most game snaps played? Was there anybody who came to mind? Jackson Smith and Jigba for yeah. me. Yeah, I think he's – I think he's – I think I, wide to me it's close. I think it'll be a receiver. I've, to me, it's close between him and Julian Fleming. Yep, I think I think that's the right call. Obviously, it would be Paris if he started, but I'm not going to pick that. So shoot, let's just go back. I'll, I'll pick Julian Fleming so we can look back in nine months or he, eleven months. <laughs> he also asked us which commit is being completely undervalued. Um, this is weird because he's actually like a top 175 recruit, but I'll just go to Colby Cowan just because you never hear about him, and I think that he's he's. He's pretty highly ranked for a reason. I think that since he's down in North Carolina, people just don't think about him a ton. I'll go along those same lines. He's actually even more highly rated, but I think because he's not an early enrollee, people aren't really talking about him. Cody Simon's a guy that I don't think people are talking about a lot, but I think he's a guy that definitely has the ability to be a future star linebacker at Ohio State. GA Buckeye 22 also asked us a couple questions for this week. Uh, recruiting question. He said, should there be a cause for concern or overhaul on defensive recruiting after this class, noting that Ohio State only had one top 100 guy on defense as opposed to six? Uh, I don't think an overhaul 
is, no. is kind of... An overhaul is probably the wrong word, yeah. but I think it's reasonable to look at that and think that, you know, that's probably not enough if you're if you're holding yourself to the standard of being the best right and his point was he said i feel we can keep up with clemson alabama georgia and offensive recruiting but i'm not optimistic for defense i think that's a fair concern it's a good way to look at it too you know, they, they have jack sawyer lined up for next year they have some top defensive prospects lined up for next year i think next year is going to be really important i think they've, they've got to do more on that front they've got to try to get some more you know five-star high four-star guys on that end, you know, they, all, they also had kind of a tough situation this past year. Uh, Clark, Clark Phillips, a uh, guy that they lost at the last minute, uh, was a top 50 recruit that they would have had. Uh, but, yeah, certainly I think the, the bar at Ohio State is at every position you want to be trying to get the top players in the country. Defensively, you could make the case that that didn't happen for the class of 2020. So I think certainly going forward to 2021, that's going to be a big point of emphasis. Yeah, I don't think that there is – I think overhaul is the wrong word. I, I, I even think cause for concern is, is, is sort of the wrong phrase. I think that it's just something to watch. And I think he's actually I, – I, I think it's a, it's a reasonable point that you can't really have one top 100 guy every year. Now – Next year is Jack Sawyer, and I imagine he'll not be the only uh, top 100 guy that, 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 that they're going to get. Um, I don't know the exact phrase that I would use. I just think it's something to watch. It was also asked about the offensive depth chart. With all the talk about running backs in the offseason, do you see any way that Jalen Gill or Demario McCall moves to running back and can take significant carries away from Master Teague in 2020? Well, I think it's definitely possible that at least Demario, I think it's possible he could move to running back because I, I, I think he's probably more likely to play there than he is at H-back at this point, and, and I think they do have a need there. If the question, though, is can he take significant carries away from Master Teague in 2020, I don't know that I see that. I think if either one of those guys was going to move to running back, it would probably be in a, a very situational capacity where you know they could play on passing downs, they could play in certain situations. But I'd be surprised if either one of those guys was going to become an every down back for Ohio State in 2020. 100% agree. Last question, Gen and Juice. Given your current state, this is a very important question. Yes, Dad. it is. Given your current state of physical conditioning and mental resiliency, how long do you think you'd be able to make it in the upcoming infamous St. Valentine's Day Massacre workout? Probably about five minutes. Oh, five minutes. It's more than I would give myself. Yeah, it, it, it would not be long. I, I will say from reading this question, my first thought was this should actually be a thing. They, they, should, yeah. they should bring in the entire Ohio State media for a workout with Mickey Marotti. And they should video it because guess what? We, we get to watch the players. We get, to we get to criticize them when they do something wrong. They should get a chance to watch us make fools of ourselves and – a Mickey Barati workout. It would be an unbelievable video. It would be um, incredible. Yeah, I, I don't even know who I'd be most excited to watch, which uh, of our fellow uh, co-workers would, would be. Really worried. just about everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I was about to. I can like, tell you it would, would be I... ugly for just about everybody. Yeah, you can. I can picture maybe like three guys who make it like 15 minutes, and that's pretty much it. Yes, and you know I who's can... not going to make it 15 minutes? Me. Neither would I. Maybe when I, I was like my, uh, fresh out of high school and was like a distance runner and in, in track, maybe. But right now, uh, it would be really bad. Yeah, I think. Pe uh, listen, I think peak athlete me. I think you could make it through. Me right now, I'm no. not sure I'm making the third minute. <laughs> it would be ugly. 
if you're listening to us, Ohio State, make it happen. This will be a lot of fun. All right, we got, got, yeah, we've got people tossed. who are uh, trying to come into the meeting room that we're recording in, so uh, we're going to finish up. Thank you for listening in to this week's episode, and we'll talk to you again next week.